0: Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. So we are, uh, we are continuing our schooling on the Westminster Confession of Faith. Um, for those of you that were paying attention, or if I should say... For that person who might be paying attention. Uh, we skip chapter 14. Um, I'm going to let Chuck do that one. He had prepared for it and is, uh, has a, a lot of really good material for that. So I want him to do that. I'm going to be doing chapter 15 today. Repentance unto life. And we will uh, discover what that means. All right. Well, let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get going. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, come before you ready to learn. And Lord, we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit to be done in us. Lord, we ask that you would give us, um, clear our minds from uh, the busyness of the morning, uh, the busyness of the coming week, Uh, We pray that you would give us uh, even wisdom as we think on your word. And Lord, we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen. Okay. Repentance unto life. Uh, If you, uh, well I hope, you have your Bible with you, turn to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. I want to give some... Uh, background for this and uh, For those of you uh, that are coming in uh, I know I'm not supposed to talk about this uh, to the to everybody, but for those of you that are in Delta Force I know our rule is not to talk about that outside of Delta Force, but if you're in Delta Force know that we will be uh, continue we will finish Delta Force next week obviously We can't this week Um, as most of you know, Chuck is on his way up to his mother or his grandmother's funeral. His mother is uh, already, I think, up there, uh, Sandy. So pray for them, um, and also pray uh, uh, for Caitlin back home, who is taking care of several additional children, uh, for patience and help. Uh, Only she can do that. Uh, Woo, they got a lot going on, so pray. (laughs) It is. All right. Acts chapter 11. Let's get to it. Um, The context of Acts chapter 11 is that Peter is giving a report to Jerusalem. And... uh, Why is he giving a report? He's giving a report because they have heard that Gentiles are receiving the same gift as the uh, Jews. Now this is interesting. The gift is the Holy Spirit as well uh, as the salvation that the Jews are receiving the Gentiles are also receiving. Now this is big news. Okay, This is a big deal because the chosen people uh, are the Jews, right? And it seems as though what's being said here is the chosen people include Gentiles. Now I want to uh, you know, I know this goes on YouTube if if our camera's working right and all that sort of stuff, so I don't want to be offensive, but I want to show that this is a big deal for a reason. Um, So Peter, uh, if I can kind of run through some of these verses with you, uh, starting at verse 1, Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, it's not that these are a bunch of racists who are like upset that Peter ate with uncircumcised men, but this meant something more than just having a meal. There is a fellowship going on because they had heard that even the Gentiles are receiving the word of God. But Peter began to speak and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of uh, Joppa praying, and he talked about the trance he went into where the the sheet came down with all the different animals that, were, that had been unclean, according to Old Testament law, and a word from God said, they are clean, eat them. And this had to happen three times, because, uh, you know, Peter is, is saying, I would never do that, I, this is breaking the law of God, and God is saying, no, I have made them clean. Okay? Um, He even says, by no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. And the voice from heaven answered a second time, what God has cleansed, no longer consider unholy. So there is uh, a precedence being set here. An inclusion of the animals that weren't included before. In the eating, they were cleansed. And I think there's a reason why this goes into the next part, where it talks about um, that... uh, Let me just keep reading it. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent to me from Caesarea. The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings, These six brethren also went with me, and we entered a man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house, and saying, Send to Joppa, and have Simon, who is also called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved. You and all your household. So it turns out this man... Was a Presbyterian. And (laughs) nothing? Okay. Um, And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he used to say, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was, who was I that I should stand in God's way. When they heard this, the men listening in Jerusalem, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance." That leads to life okay so what's all this about I want to show you why this was a big deal because they did not quiet down glorify God and say well then God has granted a new thing called the church for the Gentiles but is way different than what we are experiencing as Jews That's not what they said. Okay? I want to make that point because some of our brothers in the faith uh, that might think that the church is a new thing, um, something that was not around before and is now there in the New Testament, but before the New Testament there was no church, Um, it would be odd that this would be a big deal to the Jews if the Gentiles were in a different thing. If they were experiencing something different, that would be fine. But it wasn't as fine as you would expect because what they're really saying is they're becoming one of us, the chosen, who have been the church from the beginning. Now this is important because there has been those in the past that said the Old Testament believers believe came to belief in a different way than people in the New Testament. So we have said in the past, uh, well I say we, some of us have grown up, and the phrase uh, has come along, "Have you asked Jesus into your heart?" Because that has been our kind of catchphrase to know whether someone is a Christian or not. Have have everyone heard this phrase? Have you asked Jesus into your heart? And so we kind of insinuate to our children that salvation comes when the prayer has been given where Jesus is waiting and the child then allows Jesus into his heart or her heart. But what seems to be said here is that repentance is that thing that leads, if I can put it uh, as we look here, repentance that leads to life. Now, that that leads uh, is not part of the Greek there. I think the Greek is actually the repentance to life or repentance unto life. Um, But the same idea is still being said. So how is someone saved? Um, I know we skipped chapter 14 and we'll save that, but we have faith, we have belief, we have repentance. How does this all go together, do you think? What's given by God? (laughs) All, yeah, that's a good point, yeah. Well, if we're not careful, we could slip into the... the unbiblical view that someone comes to believe and then God rewards that belief with faith, which then allows you to repent. Um, that it would be very problematic because Scripture doesn't speak this way. Scripture doesn't speak in a way that says, Uh, There is a natural way that is natural within us to believe and once that natural process takes place of belief, then God gives us the faith as a kind of reward for our belief so that we might repent. seems to be the last thing that comes about. But this is talking about a repentance unto life, a repentance that leads to life. So with that in mind as part of the same process of the Jews in the Old Testament. How did a Jew in the Old Testament come to life? They came to life in Christ through repentance. Um, Even those who were Gentiles that joined the Jewish people would come to life in that same way. So, what is repentance? So, your first point there, and I know this is kind of makeshift as opposed to what you usually get. I think what you usually get is a bunch of uh, well-structured things. I ran this off very quickly, um, but you have the you have it. Um, number one, repentance unto life is an evangelical grace. The doctrine whereof is to be preached by every minister of the gospel, as well as that of faith in Christ. So, if repentance is something that is given, why um, are we saying that we shouldn't preach about it? I mean, it's given. So, why would we call people to repentance in the go- as, in gospel preaching as? evangelical, those that reach out, with the good news. If repentance is given, why are we preaching it and calling people to repentance? do you think? Okay. Because it's a work of the Holy Spirit. Let me ask you this. I was... uh, I was noticing an article. Uh, it was some. I didn't even read it. I just saw the. <laughs> I saw the little uh, title, and it was someone in the Gospel Coalition or one of those talking about uh, reading to his kids uh, the Harry Potter series. Anyone know what you know what I'm talking about? Anyone seen that? The Harry. He's like, oh, the Harry Potter series. I want to read my kids. I'm like, okay, whatever. Do we live in a Harry do we have a Harry Potter god? And what I mean by that is I think sometimes even in the reformed world people think we have a Harry Potter god that snaps his fingers and things happen. He snaps his fingers and someone comes to repentance. He snaps his fingers and someone is saved. He snaps his fingers and he does his work. But we do not have a Harry Potter god. What we have is a god of scripture who through his means he brings about his work. And although his means are sovereign, they are still means. And so when the Holy Spirit works in the heart of someone to bring repentance, there is a means by which it happens, and one of those means is the preaching of the gospel. And that's why in the Westminster Confession of Faith it is calling us to continue to Call people to repentance. Every minister of the gospel should be calling people to repentance. This is the means by which the Holy Spirit works in the heart. It's the means by which God worked in my heart. Um, I remember sitting in a pew, listening to, John, uh, to a pastor preach on John chapter 10, and God, uh, the shepherd, calling out, And those that are his heard his voice, and that convicted me to my core. And the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I was moved by the Holy Spirit to repentance. Number two, by it, or by repentance, a sinner, out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also... Of the filthiness and odorousness of his sins, as contrary to holy nature, to the holy nature and the righteous law of God, and upon the apprehension of his, of his mercy in Christ to such as are penitent, so grieves for and hates his sin as to turn from them all unto God, purposing and endeavoring to walk with him in all the ways of his commandments. Okay. So that's a big, ugly sentence with a semicolon somewhere in there. But let's take it apart. Uh, By it, by repentance, a sinner... Out of the sight and sense, not only of the danger, but also of the filthiness and the odorousness of his sins. How how are our sins characterized when we are experiencing repentance? How do we see our sin? Dangerous. Abhorrent. Abhorrent. Yeah. I was wondering why you had to hate yourself. I think you answered. <laughs> yeah. I've answered it to myself. Uh, it's kind of interesting. If you, if we do love ourselves. We do love ourselves. Yes. And there is a sense of, of an, an unholy way to love yourself is to love the things that bring an odorous pleasure Um, Those of you that have been caught up in a sexual sin and those of you that have been caught up in a sin that seems private, right? That seems as though I can put this sin over here and then go back to my normal life. Understand what it is like to coddle and to love your sin because you love what that sin experience gives you. And it is hard to look at it as something you hate. In fact, what would it take for you to hate your sin and find it odorous? Um, Because I think what we end up doing, we have what I call fake repentance or um, pseudo-repentance maybe where we are sorry about what that sin has produced. This is usually when we get caught with a private sin. And it leads to incredible embarrassment. It leads to a breaking of a relationship that will never be quite the same because of it. And because of that result, we hate and find the result odorous but we still want to flirt with the sin. We are sorry that it has led to a result that we don't like, but we don't hate the sin. We hate the embarrassment it brought. That is not repentance. That is the same thing that any unbeliever would experience when they get caught doing something that the, those around them do not approve of, and it leads to a natural shame that God has put within all of us to have, but that does not, that is not a repentance unto life. That is a guilt that is natural in humans because we bear the image of God. How do we get to a repentance unto life? A repentance unto life isn't merely upset about what has resulted from sin, although that can be odorous as well. They find the sin odorous because it offends God. And they begin to develop a hatred for the sin. It is vile. It even makes us angry to imagine ourselves back in that sin we should be penitent that idea of penitent is that I, idea that you 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 know that the sin requires something in return uh, in the catholic church they are not satisfied with christ taking on all that penitence christ taking or er, Yeah, taking on the punishment that we feel we need. And so they take on some of that punishment themselves. And they have their rosary that tells them how many times they do their Hail Marys so that they can pay for a little bit of their own sin. Now, it didn't start out that way. I want to be fair to the Catholic Church. It started out in the Catholic Church that they would do things like that in order to see if this person really is repentant. It became very easy for people to come and say, I am so sorry. And usually the sorriness came from embarrassment, but not a hatred for their sin. And so the Catholic Church began to develop ways to discern whether someone was truly repentant. And that's where we got some of these penitent um, activities. But then those penitent activities turned into, this is part of your of you taking on some of the punishment for your sin because they wouldn't say this. They would never say the blood of Christ was not sufficient. They only act that way. Okay. So what is required of true repentance is a hatred for one's sin, a turning from those sins unto God, Purpose, purposing, and endeavoring to walk with God in all the ways he has command. So it's not, I'm sorry, but I know this will probably happen again, but it's not going to happen in the next couple hours, so I can be safe for the next couple hours. It is not, I am embarrassed for this, about this sin, and I hope it doesn't happen again, and I know it won't happen in the next month or so, and so I'm safe. What it's saying is, I am turning from my sin, endeavoring to walk in the ways of God. Um, Those of you with children know what this is like. When a child is caught doing something, you confront them about what they did. They are able to repeat to you what they did was wrong, and they were able to do those sort of things, but you know as they walk away... They are not walking away from their sin. They are not now turning to your instruction. I mean, some do. But but sometimes you know when they are just trying to get through the words, and maybe they're sad that you're upset. But it's not walking in your commandments. I think it's interesting how the world has viewed repentance as a loveless activity. That this is something that the religious do in their loveless religion. Does anyone remember what Jesus said would be a sign if you loved him? Yes, ma'am. They'll keep his commandments. That's right. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. How many parents in here can identify with that statement? When you have a child that continually disobeys and continually rejects your commandments and your instruction, but then they say they love you, do you believe them? No, you don't believe them. They might even have an emotional tie to you that makes them actually believe they love you, but if they're not obeying and and walking in your instruction, where is this love? You know it's not there because you know what love does, especially in authority structures, is it walks in those commandments. That's part of what love means. It is not an emotional tie alone. It is not affection alone. It is not loyalty alone. It is affection, loyalty, and keeping the commandments. That is how love is shown in authority structures. And so if this is the way of repentance, this is something we need to think about uh, next week, next week is the first Sunday in July. Am I right? July third or something? <laughs> okay. What happens in the first Sunday of our uh, of the month? Communion. Let me ask you this. This is something we ask those who would like who want to take communion, and they come and talk to the elders. Uh, alone to see if they're ready for such things and this is what we say to them be careful that you don't wait to start repenting during the prayer right before you're taking here right as the prayer goes right before we're about to take the bread and the wine That is not the time for repentance. It's a time for where you're terrified and you might actually believe that God's going to follow through with his threats of don't come here and take of this without repentance. But look at what repentance requires. This is a work that needs to be done. Be careful that you don't come unprepared. Because the work of repentance isn't a quick oh, I'm really sorry for all the sins I've done. I really, uh, uh, I'm sorry. I think I lied this week. Uh, I I know I said some bad things. I know I cursed. Uh, Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. Okay. Is that what's being said here about repentance unto life? No. And I know that this is in the context of a repentance unto regeneration, but it is also the general sense of repentance that should, that should characterize our life as Christians. What Does anyone know what Luther said about repentance? Yes. <laughs> That's right. The Christian life is a life of repentance. And it's a life of repentance until we are... Uh, until Christ comes again, and we are uh, re—our bodies are made new, our minds are made new. The old—the old man is dead. And until then, we live a life of repentance. Number three. By the way, if anyone has a question, feel free to raise that hand. <laughs> I didn't mean you, Bob. <laughs> Did you have a question, Bob? Uh, yes. <laughs> yes. Go ahead. Uh, my question was... Why <clears throat> not to you do <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so the real sin is as we say God. And so it kind of comes down to Yeah, so that's, that's a good point. Bob is bringing out the idea of willfulness, my will to sin. And that we have kind of two wills battling within us an old will and a new will, if I can put it that way, uh, old man and a new man. And they're at war. And as Paul put it, we need to put the old man to death and live by Christ, the will of Christ. And um, I'm trying to see if, that, if I remember if that comes up. But, but this has been um, a part of even what Thomas Aquinas deals with, with the will. Not that the will is the conquering thing of, our, um, of who we are, but it is a very strong part of who we are. Uh, those of you that have had reoccurring sins know the strength of the, of the will that comes in to desire to do evil. The promises that are whispered in your head that this time it won't be that bad, or just one more time, or whatever those, those uh, lies are, we need to have... The kind of faith that even Luther had, where he would start talking back to that voice. Um, he even talked back to that voice uh, in his hymn, "A Mighty Fortress Is Our God." One word will fell, will destroy the devil. What's that word? He doesn't say it in the in the hymn, but what's that one word? Does anyone know? Liar. liar. That's right. Liar. It would be good for us in our walk with God, in all the ways of God's commandments, that when we hear that voice, that liar in our head, we turn to it and say liar. Um, good. So number three, although repentance, oh boy, Although repentance be not not to be rested in as any satisfaction for sin or any cause for the pardon thereof, which is the act of God's free grace in Christ, yet it is of such necessity to all sinners that none may expect pardon without it. None may expect pardon without it so what's number three saying number three is saying that your repentance is not the thing that has covered your sins what covers your sins blood of Christ and his mercy alone covers your sins repentance though is a fruit necessary for pardon Remember, and this is where it's difficult for people that are outside of the Reformed faith to understand these things, but remember we're dealing with a covenant-keeping God who speaks to us in covenant language because he has designed our world in a covenant way. And in covenant, there are conditions that are brought out that must be met for that covenant to be solidified. And one of the conditions in that covenant is that Christ's blood would be shed for your sins and that your pardon must be asked for, or God's pardon must be asked for in repentance. And these conditions, when they are met, right, the covenant is met. And so although our Our repentance is not what covers our sins. Christ's blood is what what does that. But our asking pardon is required, is expected. It is a fruit of what God has done in our heart. Number four, as there is no sin so small, but it deserves damnation, so there is no sin so great that it cannot that it can bring damnation upon those who truly repent. In other words, just like any sin, no matter how small our culture has told us it is, no matter how small that sin is, it is that which brings us to death, to hell itself. We are damned, no matter how small the sin is, but at the same time no matter how big the sin is there's is no sin so big that God cannot bring repentance in our heart through his work Christ's blood is sufficient. Number 5 Men ought to content themselves men ought not to content themselves with a general repentance but it is every man's duty to endeavor to repent of his particular sins, particularly. In other words, that hope that some of us might have as we go into a situation like uh, communion and think that a, a prayer like, Dear God, please forgive me for all my sins is sufficient. It isn't. God wants us to search out our hearts. This is a work that would take uh, maybe several days of work. Um, You know, uh, Calvin wanted communion every week. Um, And I think it was more than just his obstinance in which the... The governing bodies wanted it once every quarter, or something like that. And his, he wasn't just obstinate in saying, Well, if they want one quarter, I want it every week, um, although that was his personality. Um, there is a sense in which having communion every week puts your people to the test to be ready every week. I've heard some pastors say that who have done this, that they had a lot less counseling in their in their office because people have taken that seriously, that they fear for their lives every week. And it drives them to repentance throughout the week to be ready for Sunday. Here we have it once a month and we still have to tell people, hey, be ready, use this week for a week of repentance so that you're ready, so that you are spared Because I really don't think we believe God will do it. I mean, if you really believed that your health was in danger because God's wrath would come down on you for coming into his table unprepared, if you really believed that you might be killed because you came to God's table unprepared, how would you prepare for that table? It might be different, but God does say those things. Let's use this week for particular repentance over a particular sin. Search your heart. Think about what you've, what you're, how you are sinning, how you are setting aside sins, as, um, or setting aside. If I can put it this way, setting aside time and place for your sin during the week and you're doing it carefully you're doing it by justifying it is there a way for you to turn away and to endeavor to walk with God in all the ways of his commandments throughout this week and number six as every man is bound to make private confession of his sins to God, praying for the pardon thereof, upon which, and for the end, uh, uh, and the forsaking of them, he shall find mercy. So, he that scandaleth his brother, or scandalizeth his brother—that's hard to do, um, or the church of Christ ought to be willing by a private or public confession and sorrow of his sin to declare his repentance to those that are offended, who are thereupon to be reconciled to him and in love to receive him. So this is speaking of just like you have private confession of private sins, public confession of public sins need to be done as well. And I would even say... Uh, One thing I've been thinking about, even for the men of the church, that we learn how to rely on each other. We talked um, at Triple B this past Friday about learning how to rely on each other. Relying on people require you to be open with them and to expose your embarrassments to them. Um... We don't like doing that because once you expose your embarrassments to each other, uh, you believe you will be judged, and you probably will. I mean, But can we do this with each other so that we might rely on each other? I've been thinking about how in Triple B we might learn as men to confess our sins to each other. That we might begin to rely on each other for help. Um, I have found that depression and um, and spiritual darkness comes over Christians, and I think this is typical. This typically happens when Christians begin to isolate themselves, and isolation happens in public. Isolation happens when you come to church and you say hi to everybody and you do your usual conversations with the usual people about the exact same topics that they always are and you smile and you're happy and you leave and you're still alone. You're still absolutely alone. And you're alone because you haven't really talked with anyone. You haven't exposed yourself to anyone so that they might help you in your walk. And when you have people you can really depend upon, of course it's a risk because we're people and we're filled with sin and you might, you know, expose your sin to other people to help you and they might fail you. And that's what life is about. That's what family is about. But... If we can become a church that begins to rely on each other, we really begin to see what the love that Scripture is talking about when it talks about the church and those people in the church loving each other. Could you imagine a world where we come to church so that we can reconnect with those we're relying on? Can you imagine this? Seeing each other during the week because you're relying on each other and thinking about your church as the family you need to keep walking in the way of God because you're sharing your repentance with each other. May that be our work uh, and something that we might really pray about and even find ways to do it so that we can walk in the walk together as Scripture commands us to. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I am personally grateful for uh, the congregation we have here. And Lord, I pray that you uh, work in our hearts that we might be bonded together, rely on each other, that our repentance might be a repentance that is a work of the week, that we might be able to come here ready for your work in our hearts and even relying on each other to help us avoid sin and, Lord, even to help us hate it. Lord, we pray for a continued love and bond that we might continue to grow here in our church, that our church might be known for its love for you and therefore its love for each other. Lord, we pray for your word preached today as we enter into uh, the worship service that your uh, Holy Spirit would work and that we would hear your voice through your servant. Lord, we ask these things in your Son's name. Amen.